The next reading is uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through to 12. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's, um, let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it can be read freely in this country and proclaimed. And Lord, this morning I pray that as I share your word with your precious people here, that together we will grow in the, in the knowledge of Christ. Together we will know what it means to live in this world. And that together uh, we will study your word, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we're going to look at this topic, uh, how to live in this world. Now, if you, um, the other day I was, uh, some people will know this very well. I was at Deacon Uni and um, this is my son. We had gone to the gym and I was coming out, and uh, we saw this on, at the entrance there. I said to Sean, can you take a photo of this? So we stopped on the side there and got this photo. Deacon Uni. Pete, you know this very well. You see this all the time, I'm sure. You've arrived at a worldly destination, right? Now, you can take it in many ways. As Christians, you might think, oh, yeah, that's challenging. I know, I think, what the meaning is. Sumi is here, one of the lecturers at Deacon. I'm sure what they mean is that this is a place of education, Right? A worldly place for education. You can get all your degrees here that will serve you in this world. So when you go to Deacon, you've arrived at a worldly destination. What about um, this world that we, we live in? We speak uh, of the world. When we speak of the world, we speak, for example, of the world of music. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of music. Uh, you know, since my family came from overseas, I've been listening to FM radio. 
Other times I listen to the AM radios, but now I'm quite uh, familiar with some of the new songs that are uh, on the scene, the top chart songs, same love and all of those things, you know that. It's quite challenging listening to all these lyrics. It's quite interesting to have interesting discussions as well in the car with uh, all the music that's around us. We talk of the world of uh, music, we think of the dance music, the Gangnam style, you know, the thing, I won't do that, but... Uh, and I heard that, I heard last week that there's in fact a new um, thing out there. It's, what is it called? Is it the Harlem dance or something? Right? I'm not pushing it, but it's out there on YouTube. And yeah, so it's out there, okay? We talk about the world of art, a wonderful world of art uh, that we have. We talk, talk about the world of sport, for example. And we know that Australia has been rocked this past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, with the sporting world, someone was saying to me the other day, isn't it interesting that we as a nation kind of worship sports, but sports itself is now under scrutiny. The whole issue of drugs in sports and bringing down the pillars of sport, as it were, in, in our nation. And as Christians, we live and interact with one another in this world of social media. Imagine, friends, for a moment, the world without computers, the world without your smartphones, the internet, right? For example, uh, this phone, that's a sense. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not promoting, I won't mention the name of the phone, so don't worry, I'm not getting any, any uh, um, dividends from this. The smartphones, uh, I understand that this, there's new technology now that says with, with this particular phone, the two phones, you can actually keep them in front of each other and transfer the files from one phone to another. Amazing, isn't it? What about, uh, you know, you go to places and you look at these TVs now. I mean, imagine that. Imagine those big bulky TVs we had. When we have one at home. It's so big you need like five people to carry this thing. How the new ones? It's less than one centimeter thick, the screen. Probably about eight kilos in weight. New technology all the time. Uh, phones. Speaking of mobile phones, I read this article um, a couple of weeks ago, in fact, waiting for sad lives to ring, tune, uh, ring through. Uh, do you constantly check your mobile phone thinking it has vibrated, only to find no one has called? Do you do that? Come on, come on, let's be honest here, right? Apparently, you're not alone. The phenomenon is so common, it has now been given its own dictionary definition. It's called the phantom vibration syndrome. This is the Macquarie Dictionary's word of the year. In fact, this article is in, in the Daily Telegraph, uh, 7th February. So phantom vibration syndrome, or PBS for short, received the honor ahead of a host of other new technology-based terms. The official definition of PBS is a syndrome characterized by a constant Anxiety in relation to one's mobile phone and an obsessive conviction that the phone has vibrated in response to an incoming call when in fact it hasn't. So you run to the phone thinking, oh, have I got the message? No, it's, an, it's, it's one of those uh, syndromes apparently. Obsessive conviction of the phone. So how are we to live in this world, this world of technology, that's a world of advancement? Uh, this is uh, 
This is a world that challenges us in terms of its morals, in terms of its ethics, in terms of definition of family life, in terms of the definition of marriage. Uh, these are massive issues that confront us. Massive issues that confront uh, families, for example. And, uh, and Peter, in writing uh, the text for this morning, uh, we have these words here. Dear friends, this is going to be our text for this morning. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. Let me give you the context of this passage. You see, Peter has reminded his readers that Jesus Christ is the living stone. And that through faith and trust in Christ alone, we are made living stones in God's spiritual house. So if you are not a Christian here this morning, the gospel call goes out to you to respond to God's grace in Christ. So that you can be a living stone in God's spiritual house. The gospel has gone out in Jesus Christ. We do not have a physical temple anymore, but God's, but we are God's temple because God's spirit dwells in you and me. And so Peter, having spoken of us standing with God, moves from the theological exposition to a practical living. Uh, it's the application side of things. You see, sometimes we can have all our theology right, which we praise God for. But what about the practical living? What about that surrendering our lives to Jesus that we just sang? Is that easy? Is living the Christian life really that easy? I was reading um, R.C. Sproul's, um, one of his books this past week, and he says this, Before I became a Christian, life was easy. But after I became a Christian... Life's become complicated. Oh, come on. I keep reading with this. Can I, tell me these things, Sprout. What are you thinking about here? And I, that is so true. Because when you're not a Christian, you don't worry about things of ethics, morals. You don't think about perhaps other issues. But the moment you become a Christian, as we see in this text here this morning, there is something that is going on within ourselves as well. And I'm going to unpack that here this morning. And so Peter does two things here in this passage. Well, look but I'm going to say two things from this passage. Uh, it's uh, the appeal that Peter gives and the lifestyle that we are called to live. Uh, Peter says, beloved. It's a, it's, it's a term of affection. Uh, it, it's one of those brotherly terms. Uh, we don't use that often in our conversations with one another. How are you, beloved? Perhaps uh, your husband might use that, but that might be all language to your wife. You know, how are you going, Beloved. But the word beloved is a strong word of affection. And Peter is saying, beloved means, you. I have a strong affection with you. You are precious. You are precious to God, and you're precious to me, and so I appeal to you as a beloved brother in Christ. I urge you. This word means to encourage you. And he says, I urge you to be aliens and strangers in this world. Now, I looked at the original text here, even though the word world is not in the text as such, it is implied. What does it mean to live as aliens and strangers in 
the world. Let me say this. The Bible tells us that when God created this world, he declared that it was very good. Alright? So we don't look at this world and say, oh, yucky world. No, this is the world that God has created. It's a beautiful world that he created in Genesis chapter 1. We thank God for this beautiful world that he has created for us to live and to enjoy. Yes? Do you take time out to enjoy the stars? Do you take time out to smell the roses? Speaking of roses, Valentine's Day had just gone by. I don't know whether you gave any roses to anyone. Do you take time to enjoy the good things that God has? I'm not promoting Valentine's Day. Don't get me wrong, okay? Uh, But the thing is, do we actually take time to to enjoy the, the amazing handiwork in God's creation? And he has entrusted this creation for us to live. And we thank God for the blessings that we enjoy in a modern society with all the technological advancements, the scientific advancements that we have in life to help us live comfortable lives. But what is Peter meaning by this term world? I think one John gives us a bit of an explanation here. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, clearly, John is not speaking of the world, the world that God has created here, the big wild world that we live in. In fact, one writer, C.J. Mani, in his book, it's a fantastic little booklet actually on worldliness, he says this, The world we are not to love is the organized system of human civilization that is actively hostile to God and alienated from God. That's the world we are not to love, right? Uh, A system of human civilization that is actively hostile to God and alienated from God. You see, with the fall into sin, Adam and Eve sinned against God. The creation itself is affected by sin. And humanity is affected by sin. And as we live in this world, we know that this is a world that is arrogant towards God. It is a world that lives in opposition to God. It is a world that ignores God. It is a world that has turned its back on God. Has it not? Is it not the case? It has done it, hasn't it? We see it all the time. And the world we are not to love is this organized system here that we have. Uh, One writer, David Wells, in his book, uh, Losing Our Virtue, he describes it this way. That system of values in any given age, which has at its center a fallen human perspective, which displaces God and his truth from the world, and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. Very interesting. Sin to look normal and righteousness as strange. So in other words, if you live a righteous life, that is, you live in to honor Jesus, it seems that you're almost a weirdo. Why would you do this? People might ask you. And it thus gives the plausibility of what is morally wrong, and for that reason makes what is wrong seem normal. That's what the world will do. And Peter says, live as aliens and strangers. Let's keep moving on. Alien is somebody alongside the house, that's what it literally means, is a person who lives in a country that is not his or her own. Uh, Strangers, this is closely connected to alien, and it means a pilgrim. And when these two words are combined together, aliens and strangers, it means someone who is passing by. 
It's like when you go to a country, you visit the place. What are you doing? You're going through the airport and you are basically passing by. right? You don't belong to the place. That's what we are. As Christians, I'll explain as we go along. This is a temporary residence. Yeah? It's a temporary place. Yes, we thank God for life. Every day, friends, when you get up, I'm sure you're doing this. You get up and say, Lord, I want to thank you for the breath of life. Right? Uh, God has given me life to live today. I don't know whether we'll have a tomorrow. None of us know that. But today, God has given us this life to live. But this world is a temporary place. We have sealed through the Holy Spirit that our residence is temporary, but we have a permanent home somewhere else. We will look at that as we move on. In fact, uh, Peter says this, he's written already about this, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. Again in 117, he uses the word strangers. And he says, abstain from passions of the flesh. Now, what about the passions of the flesh, friends? Are they all wrong? Are passions wrong? <laughs> right? Um, God has built into our DNA desires and passions, right? Uh, we can get passionate about a lot of things. You might be passionate about your sports. You have to be. In a few weeks' time, the footy will start, and Friday nights we'll be passionate about what's going on, right? Uh, you'll be passionate about uh, your, your sports, basketball, footy, netball, lawn bowls, whatever. We're passionate about gardening. There are some passionate gardeners here, right? We're spending hours in their garden. Now, I mean, I'm not that much of a passionate gardener. I enjoy looking at other gardens, put it that way. Somebody has to enjoy other people's gardens as well. Um, Some are passionate about food. I mean, now, that I'm passionate about. Food, right? You watch Better Homes and Gardens. You You watch My Kitchen Rules. Man, the stuff that goes on there, right? I, I've been kind of hooked into this thing, and I'm not often there at home in the nights, and it's recorded, and I kind of say, well, what's happened here? My kitchen rules. The better homes and gardens, fast ed, and the way he cooks their food. Boy. Uh, so, some are passionate about food. Some are passionate about being fit. Man, fitness, that's the key word. Some are passionate about fashion. What's the latest fashion? Nothing wrong with these things, friends. God has given us passions in our lives, right? They, they are, we're driven by these things. So Peter says, as aliens and pilgrims, we have to abstain from passions of the flesh. And what exactly are these passions? I think the wider context kind of helps us to understand this. He says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. These are the passions of the flesh. Again, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, let me read, pick up from verse 2, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. You see that? It's all there. These are the passions of the flesh. And, And Paul says this, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the human, to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. 
So there is this tension that's going on within ourselves. Yes or no? Are you, do you face a spiritual warfare in your life or am I just weird? We face it, don't we? This, this is tension. We have a spiritual warfare. On the one hand, we want to live our life for Jesus. And on the other hand, it is easy to give into the passions of the flesh due to our fallen human nature. Right? And Satan has declared war on our souls. And we face it every day. For example, James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, from your passions that battle within you? You see, they start with little things, like a little comment, a little slander, a spiteful word against someone, a little arrogance, a little bit of arrogance that you tell people what to do and what not to do, and it it happens, doesn't it? It can happen in your relationship at home between husband and wife. The tempers flare up and bang, bang, bang. It's going on. We lose control, don't we? You drive on the road and somebody... This is where I lose my patience. Somebody goes past you and they look at you and think, you can't go faster. Or somebody just goes in front of you and decides suddenly to turn right. And you think, man, couldn't you indicate before? It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to lose control. Bang! Ah, Chris, are you crazy? I was at a match yesterday, a squash match. And I didn't play squash because I don't think I'm that fit. Anyway, I was one of the parents there. I mean, careful what I say. Anyway, there was an, the opposing team. There was a lady there, and she took on the, she was a parent. And she took on the role of being a referee of the match. And she was giving all the signals from the side. Oh, that's not right. This is not right. And at one point, it came to a crescendo. And I said to her, please, can you just cool it? Let the referees handle this. Anyway, that was it for me. And I just said, oh, boys, you better be very careful with this lady. And we kind of walked away from there quietly. Well, not quietly, but... (laughs) It doesn't take much, does it? Because a little comment here and there. I was reading Thomas Brooks. uh, He's written this Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Let Let me just quickly read this through. How says Satan, it's but a little sin, a little pride, a little worldliness, a little lust, etc. You may commit it without any danger to your soul. It is but a little one. You may commit it and your soul shall live. Consider that there is great danger, yes, many times most danger in the smallest sins. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. If the serpent sneaks his head, sneaks in his head, he will draw in his whole body after him. Greater sins do sooner startle the soul and awaken and rouse up the soul to repentance than lesser sins do. Little sins often slide into the soul, breed and work secretly in the soul until they come to be so strong as to trample upon the soul and cut the throat of the soul. Many are eternally killed and betrayed by the little sins that are nourished in our own hearts. And he says this, a little hole in the ship sinks it. Right? A small breach in a dam carries away all before it. A little stab in the heart 
kills a man. A little sin without a great deal of God's mercy will condemn a man. The little sins. We often talk about the big sins, right? Adultery, uh, what else more? Thieving. Um, what about the little sins? The respectable sins. <laughs> There's a book actually written titled The Respectable Sins. Do you have respectable sins? I think we all do, right? And we try and justify it. It's a respectable sin. It's, it's not as bad. Paul says this, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. You see, um, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Through uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. So how did we have this war that is going on? A war against your soul. Are you at war against your soul this morning? Are there things in your life that is kind of eating away there? God knows it. He knows the struggles that I go through. How do we combat it, friends? How do we combat these things that come upon us? You see, our spiritual armor comes from Jesus. I'll give you some practical applications here. One, by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because Paul says this, So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Living, Spirit-filled lives. Praying that God's Spirit will help me somehow work through these passions. A Spirit-filled life. Secondly, I want to say this, by guarding our hearts. Guard your heart, for it is the, what is it? The wellspring of life. It's coming out. What is the heart, my dear friends? Our heart is the wellspring of our life. What this means is that a wellspring is an ever-flowing source. It can be fresh or it can be murky, but it flows continually. There is a direct cause and effect relationship between the life and the heart. For example, Proverbs says this, As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man or the woman. Okay? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your life? This morning I went into the kitchen. I can say this. The ladies were very busy cutting up uh, all the scones that they're going to eat in about an hour's time. Uh, <laughs> did you get that? Come on. Right. The point is... <laughs> Right. I was there in this massive discussion. And the discussion centered around men. And about the midlife crisis of men. And I happened to be there. And, and I'll expand a bit more on this. About men, when they are between 45 and 50 odd, there's this midlife crisis and they begin to look at other women and they begin to shape up and begin to drive funky stuff, you know, and listen to great music, and things are happening, and the, and the conversation in the kitchen was pretty hot at the time, and <laughs> all they were saying is that we don't really worry about men, we always talk about women, but we don't think about the struggles of men, poor men, come on, <laughs> any midlife crisis in your life, oh, are there passions that are going on sometimes? See the challenges, isn't it? This is life, friends. So what's this lifestyle that we're going to live? Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and praise 
and, and, um, and glorify God on the day he visits us. These good deeds, visible goodness, wonderful things. The, the word is a winsomeness and attractiveness, living honorable lives, doing good deeds, taking care of people, practical applications. Jesus said, and we read that in Matthew, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. You see, we don't withdraw from the world, friends. We engage this world. We do good deeds to those around us. We care for people because the Bible tells us that God will visit us one day. In the Old Testament, visitation of God, Jeremiah chapter 29, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. This is the visitation of God in Amos chapter 5. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you, why would you have the day of the Lord? In the New Testament, the visitation of God means essentially this, that God will visit a person. It's incredible. I read this, I'll try to work this one through. What does it actually mean? Let me explain it. By the visitation of God, two things, I think. First is, by people seeing your good works, right, and your life as a testimony, the visitation of God upon them by converting them brings blessing, all right? That's God's visiting to them through you, your good deeds. You're glorifying God. People will be converted by the work of the Spirit, and God visits them and brings salvation. And the other visitation is the second coming. Right? When Christ returns again, this world will go. It's a passing world, and he will make a new world order. And that's what we are. That's what we see. Our citizenship is in heaven. How about you this morning? Where is your citizenship? You got a passport to heaven? Yesterday I called a minister friend, a uh, uh, country parish. Um, it was actually Stuart with us. I'll tell him. I'll tell you what happened. I said to Stuart, do you do kids? Well, said, Explain this. Oh, baptism, I said. Can you do baptism? I want my kid done in two weeks' time. I put Stuart on the, on, on, on the go there. He didn't know it was me, right? So he said, oh, oh, I'd love to do a baptism, but we need to talk about it. Okay, Stuart. I said, just talk about this Jesus stuff in your church. Oh, yes, we do. I said, I want to get to heaven. Should I follow Jesus or can I follow New Age stuff? Stuart, he said, no, actually, we don't believe in all that stuff. We believe that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, Stuart, I said, you passed the test. I said, and then he said, so when are you coming to see me? <laughs> said, Stuart, it's me, it's Chris. <laughs> right? Uh, oh, a blessing. I came on the phone. Wow, you know, here's the gospel. This guy's got it. It's there. Right? See, God's love for us. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian today and God is speaking to you today, then come to Jesus. Because he will give you a citizenship that will last forever in heaven. You will be able to live in a new world. And also, if you're a Christian this morning and you're struggling just like I am with these passions of the flesh, friends, there is hope. We bring them to Jesus. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for the Spirit of God to help us in these areas. And we live victorious lives. That's why I read Romans chapter 8. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So don't live that defeatist life.
Maybe you're battling things today. The world is pulling you on one hand, you're going on the other. The gospel challenge is to live as aliens and strangers in this world, honorable lives, look into the future, look into the world that God will bring. In the meantime, let us live as light in the world, let us live a life of separation and holiness to God, and let us live our lives for the glory of God. In response to all that he has done for all that he has done for us. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us this morning, even though we know we're tired, perhaps with the heat and everything. Thank you for helping us to concentrate. I just pray that as Christians, uh, fellow travelers, pilgrims, aliens in this world, you just help us, Lord, to, to deal with the issues in our own lives, confront the passions of our own flesh, If there's anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that today your spirit will draw that person to you. That way we'll see conversion in this place. See conversion through us in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.